So I'm, that was a good, good time. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast. It is episode four and this week we are talking about True Grit by Charles Portis. I'm Ryan, still, and across from me is Jacob, my good friend and fellow host. What's going on? Episode four. I'm actually surprised we made it this far. I'm not that surprised. We've, I'm all little. We Okay, a little, but no, it's been fun. Yes, True Grit. Oh, excited about this book. A nice little change of pace from last week, but yes, welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our, our little humble we invite you into our little humble book home where, you know, we just like to hear the sound of our voice and maybe dissect a little bit of our favorite uh, our, our favorite pieces from some of these books. And if you have not read the book, uh, but you've seen the movie, you're probably okay this week. Uh, I feel like the from what you said, the movie and the book yeah. are pretty similar, at least the well, recent version. I would still encourage you to go back and read the book. But yeah, I, I little side note, not always do we get to you know in our so far four weeks of doing this we haven't really got to reference any type of outside media but true grit has been made you know into two it's been made into movies twice there's original version back in 1969 which is okay okay um and then the more recent version in 2010 which is a little bit more faithful to the book which is actually you know it's actually pretty good uh as far as consistency between the two mediums so i was actually surprised going back and reading this but we'll get into that later but yeah, yeah. go watch the movie i would i'd highly encourage that as well alongside reading the book yeah, and obviously uh, our normal disclaimer is that uh, this conversation is not going to make much sense to you if you don't have the actual material uh, read now. So go get the book, read the book. Uh, it's, it is a book podcast, so I guess I shouldn't suggest watching the movie. But you Yeah, that's a cop-out, right? Jeez. That. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we'll go through a brief plot summary real quick. We'll talk very briefly about the uh, the writer. We'll get into some of our questions that we had reading this book, chew it over a little bit, and then finally we'll finish it all up with our patented rating system. And uh, yeah, then we'll tell you about what we have in store for next week. So real quick, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, actually... You want to do the summary? Yeah, let's God, do the summary. I'm like out of order today. You're good. So True Grit, right? True Grit, a little classic tale of heroism and adventure as it recounts the story of Maddie Ross, a 14-year-old girl who uh, hires a drunken one-eyed U.S. Marshal to help track down her father's killer. It's a mouthful. It's a lot. Yeah. That sells me right there. Is that, is that a single sentence? Yeah, a little run-on, but little, we're good. Little, eh, it's all right. Uh, so let's let's talk about Charles Portis then the the author real quick. Um, he's from Arkansas. Apparently, still lives in Arkansas. Um, really not notable notable for too much else. Uh, he did another another book um, called Norwood in 1966. This was in 1968. Mm -hmm. True Grit that is. So he kind of had like you know two two years where he's knocked out some stuff that he was known for, and then um, he did have some other stuff. Uh, one book in the late 70s called The Dog of the South, uh, another one in 85 called Masters of Atlantis. And I've heard that for some reason, but I don't know why. Uh, then he had Gringos in, in 91 and then had uh, a nonfiction book published in 2012 called Escape Velocity, a Charles Portis miscellany. Which I think is interesting. Funny. Yeah, so it's 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 a collection of some of his nonfiction, I guess, short stuff, uh, journalists like journalism pieces, oh, short cool. stories, and a play. Um, so kind of a weird like mixed bag know, of things there. Yeah, yeah, just like an anthology. But I'd be interesting to pick up. 
poke up to pick up look at yeah and uh so he was born in 1933 still kicking still kicking still kicking good for you mr portis all right so now that we've got that out of the way let's uh let's get into the book first thing i want to talk about real quick Mm -hmm. is it was really surprising to me when i picked up this book because i'd seen the movies i'd seen both versions of the movies prior to uh to reading it um yeah, I this you know when I picked this book up and saw that it was actually written in 1968, I thought that was interesting. And having read through the book, I thought it was really surprising because just the language in the book and just kind of how much it sort of it, it makes you feel that kind of regionalism, that sort of like okay, this it it certainly felt like it was written a little bit closer to the time period to me. So that, I thought that was really interesting that this book was almost written, you know, it, it was written 40 some odd, 50 some odd years ago. Yeah. And it certainly feels like it was, you know, I could have pegged it for something a little bit closer to the turn of the century. So I thought that was really cool reading throughout the book that just so much of it felt kind of authentic. Not that, you know, I was like, oh, I know authentic dialogue. <laughs> I know authentic 19th century Western and Southern. But just the way, you know, it it felt and the way kind of it, it I don't know, the characters interacted with each other and spoke and, and just sort of Maddie's narration throughout the entirety of it. Yep. I never once did I feel like, eh, you know, that it, it kind of had like this weird modern feel to it. It felt really, really good as far as like reading and putting your mind in that time period. So I thought that was really cool and surprising to me, like coming into the book, not knowing at first that it was that recent of a of a publication. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I had sort of a, a similar um, reaction when I found out um because I don't think I knew going into it when the, when the book was written, but he, he does a really good job of um, getting into you know Maddie's voice, obviously uh, as as the narrator, and um, not only is that you know placed in a specific time period, um, it, you know it's it's also um, with you know her perception of things. Um, she never really breaks from that, so I thought that was uh, it was it was convincing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into it. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, having seen the movies, I was I was expecting a lot from the story, just a little bit more, a little bit more depth. And I, and I got that. It was it was a story that I enjoyed thoroughly. But the thing that really jumped out to me mostly was that um, it very much was a book about the characters. Yes. And especially especially I felt Maddie and uh, Rooster and a little bit Labeef, but not as much as it was just primarily focused on like, okay, we, we really want to drive home who Maddie is. We really want to drive home kind of her motivations and the type of person that she is and that she's not just doing the things that she's doing because she's, you know, a stubborn child, that there's actually a lot of weight behind the things that she's thinking and feeling and, you know, just kind of the way that she interacts with Rooster. And that that takes up the bulk of the first, you know, one third to one half of the book is kind of just sort of establishing these these characters and this environment yep. and kind of the things in place because there really isn't you know there really isn't a whole lot going on. We start off the book with kind of the backstory of of you know Cheney and and, and Maddie's father and, You're right. and sort of the motivations for that. But then we spend the next you know good amount of the book of just kind of building Maddie as a character and and, and connecting her to Rooster and and sort of establishing that. And I thought I did a really good job of that. And I could understand how. You know, maybe some other type of book that didn't necessarily have these type of characters that you sort of got super interested in. It it, it could have lost me because there's not a whole lot plot wise developing throughout this first little bit of the sure. book, and it picks up towards the middle and the end. Um, but yeah, I mean that was that was the thing that stuck out to me most is that I really enjoyed kind of the way the characters are written, especially Rooster. As, yeah. as as strange as it is, you know, just in all of his faults, I thought Maddie was Maddie was really well written. Um, but we can get to it in yeah. one of my questions later. 
Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed, especially the writing and just sort of the character of Rooster Cogburn. Yeah, I mean, if if you if you look at all the characters, um, you know, side by side, he was the only one that had um, any real depth to him. Um, so like Maddie, you just sort of like. Um, you know, what she says is, you know, who she is. She's very straight laced. Yeah. By the books, kind of, this is who she is. Exactly. And then, you know, even, even Labeef, I mean, he, he's very much like a a secondary character you know, there's not much discussion about, you know, where he's from or who he is as a person other than the things he's doing in the immediate narrative. And, um, you know, the, the thing back with the, uh, was it Senator Bibbs or whatever? Sure. Um, that's kind of the, the only connection. Yeah. yeah that's, that's really that's, the only connection he has to the story is that but then, you know, he's you know, a Texas Ranger and right. we have this sort of background with Cheney. But then Rooster is the one that, you know, rambles while they're riding or, or sitting up on the hill for the ambush, um, you know, about his background and the war and like, you know, whatever, whatever. So, you know, you, you, get a picture of a guy who comes from a conflicted background given, given his, uh, his current state. Um, and the other two characters didn't get that, that kind of development. So I think part of it is just sort of like natural, like we're going to be attracted to that, that sort of depth, but also he's a really interesting (laughs) character. No, absolutely. Best character name. I think so far, I don't Um, know. Von Rumpel's pretty good. Von Rumpel is pretty good. Um, jewel investigator. Yeah, Hunter, dying of of uh, of cancer, dying of cancer. Um, but yeah, Rooster's up there, man. Yeah, he's, he's maybe one A, one B. I don't think that's fair. I think Rooster should probably be one A since he's a little bit more fleshed out than Von Rumpel. But I, I think so. Um, okay, so let's let's get into our like. Let's get into the questions. Actual actual questions. Sure. Um, what do you got? Hit me up with one. All right. So one one thing I, I started wondering about kind of early on. So Maddie describes her dad um, as, as being kind. Um, you almost get sort of the implication like he might be a bit of a pushover yeah. um, when it comes to negotiating. She's talking to the the horse, uh, the rancher um, or whatever, whatever you call him. Um, and then her mother is, um, you know, like ill. Uh, sort of the implication is that she's like uh, mentally, you know, unstable like she's having a hard yeah, time just kind of like very like me like kind of yeah what you would see like traditional like she takes care of the kids and that sort right. of stuff and then so you've got maddie who is not like either of these these two characters that that she describes so where where does that that come from um i i struggled with that a little bit like understanding how she's she's so like strong sure yeah i mean there is kind of a little layer of sort of this like unbelievable like she's very well read seemingly and how she interacts with the people around her she's smart she's quick-witted she's sort of you know aggressive and it doesn't seem like there's any sort of natural place for her to have gotten that but then again i think that i don't know we don't know all that much about her parents and 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 that situation so but yeah it is it is kind of strange that she describes in the opening bits of the book you know her father is being certainly more you know, caring in their interactions with Cheney, where she's kind of from the get go, just very off on Cheney, whereas he's willing to help him and willing to bring him along and do these sort of things that eventually kind of lead to his downfall. But yeah, I, I kind of wondered, um, you know, so so Maddie obviously was doing the it sounds like she was doing the books for her dad and was close to the the like business of their yeah. their ranch or homestead or whatever you'd call it. Right. So some of it probably comes from there. But then I kind of had the thought that 
we, we all do this thing after somebody dies that like you sort of put them on a pedestal, right? Like people are always flawed. You know, there, there are things that, you know, we don't like about each other. Um, but when somebody dies, you, you sort of idealize these people. And I kind of wonder if some of Maddie's description of her dad was idealized and, you know, didn't really encapsulate um, some of the other character traits that I I suspect he passed on sure, to her. The stubbornness and things of that nature. Logically, to me, that's like the only thing that makes makes sense. Another thing, too, and this kind of ties in with uh, one of the questions we sort of talked about beforehand is the way that we view this novel is in the past. It's not something that's like ha- currently happening with Maddie. It's it's narrated by an older Maddie. Yep. And so you have a lot of these interjections of kind of her her religious beliefs into a lot of these actions. And so my thought process is maybe a lot of sort of these interactions and the nature of her are embellished to a degree because you get that view from her her current self, which is obviously an older, we're, we're 30 years you know removed from this incident she's telling us yep. kind of in past tense. So I think a lot of that comes into play too. And we discussed the idea of, is Maddie a reliable narrator? I mean, you have, you know, throughout the story, you have, Labeef, who is frequent to embellish his exploits within the Texas Rangers. And then you have Rooster who kind of, you know, fibs a little bit here and there on his own past. And until we kind of get a little bit more. On his damn inventory sheets, he's lying. Sure. Until we get, you know, more sort of towards the through, you know, through the end and and into the story and kind of more opened up with him. But, you know, maybe that does play a role in this, too, is that Maddie is, is sort of she sees herself a lot in a lot of ways, kind of maybe more you know, intelligent and more stubborn and, and all these things now yeah. through a lens removed from that incident where maybe she wasn't so much at that time. Maybe a lot of the things that she got were just kind of not so much due to that and some due to, to other circumstances. But yeah, you know, I, I think, I think that's, that is interesting that like her experience, her actual experience may have been very different than, it could have been, than yeah. the way that she described it. The, the, the first time that I really got the indication that, Maddie might be unreliable was when she got dragged into the the hideout and she was talking to uh, Lucky Ned about, mm-hmm. you know, who was out there because initially she gets captured. She says, you know, there's 50 marshals and they're going to come storming down here or whatever. And then she very quickly, like under no duress other than her like immediate situation of being captured volunteers that it's just those two and that it's Cogburn by name and this Texas Ranger um, and that, you know, Cheney killed her dad. Like um, she's sort of like, uh, I think in that moment showed too much honesty to be believable. Yeah. Um, And so then I started like backtracking and thinking like, yeah, like you have these interjections of like, you know, biblical verses like in the midst of conversation and um, she really is above reproach um, in a sense, or she presents herself as being above reproach. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wondered by the end of it, you know, if the narrator in present time wasn't the, wasn't the one sort of um, embellishing to make uh, her past, embellishing her past, sorry, to make herself in the present, feel stronger given you know she's alone she lost her arm um or a good portion of of her arm um so yeah i i think sure maybe just add this you know element of of righteousness or you know just virtue that maybe didn't entirely exist yeah i could see that 
And even so, like, I don't know, it, it's just, it was funny to me that the, the last part, like the literally the last sentence of the novel, right, was um, trying to flip to the page. Uh, never mind. That is the, uh, that's the afterword. Uh, this ends my true account of how I avenged Frank Ross's blood over in the Choctaw Nation when snow was on the ground. Like, that it's just very matter of fact, almost like she's but that, know, uh, filing a report. Sure, but that's kind of the that's sort of the style of this storytelling from Maddie's point of view is it is very matter of fact, and you only really get those instances of kind of embellishment and other things involved whenever you include Rooster and, and LaBeef and, and yeah. their sort of interactions. Maddie is very much matter of fact. It's very simple. I, I can appreciate this story because it is it is it is it's it's a simple narrative it's you know it's simply told it doesn't try to be too verbose when describing things you know it's very matter of fact um and i think that that's just kind of the nature of the narrator here is that maddie just is this very you know we see it that there is that sort of tinge of okay maybe when she was younger she was stubborn and, and and very you know straight laced and and had all these uh features but telling it through kind of the story as she's older, it, it just sort of heightens them even more so. Like maybe where, you know, she didn't want to say so much that, oh, I was a child and, you know, all of these qualities. She very much assigned kind of the qualities that she has now to herself then. All right, we're getting too serious. A little um, bit. Let's, let's, let's break it up a bit. Um, what, if anything, was humorous about this book to you? I don't know. I love the interaction... I just, I mean, Rooster's character as a whole, I think just any interaction he has it yeah. just has that sarcastic wit, uh, especially when he's in the courthouse and then they're just sort of describing the, the events that <laughs> lead him there and, you know, talking about all the people he's, he's shot as grim as that is. But yeah. I just think his interactions with Labeef early on just and how he and, and how he handles Labeef's just exaggeration and, and yeah. sort of bragging nature about being a Texas Ranger. And I don't know everything about Rooster. Like I said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, him as a character in this book. I agree. I, I forgot about the courthouse thing, which happens like immediately. And he, and he gets asked like, how many people have you shot? And he goes, shot or killed. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a first, it's your first, uh, interaction with him. And even yeah. just the lead up to rooster as a character, when Maddie's asking the sheriff, you know, about different U S marshals that she can seek out. And it's, Oh, you know, that we have one that's, uh, he's really good at tracking. And then there's rooster, you know, he's, he's a, he's a drinker and you know, he'll, he, he's ruthless. And then he goes into great depths, you know, explaining, Oh, we have this other marshal who is, you know, he's very fair and, you know, he would never plan evidence and he would never do this. And he always takes him in alive and treats him kindly. And she's like, oh, I, you know, I'd like to meet this rooster. You yeah, know, it's just yeah. kind of like, OK, so we kind of get this implication early on that maybe he isn't the most, you know, he doesn't do necessarily everything by the books. He's a little bit more mm, a little bit more risky in his uh, in his approach to to law. Which brings me to my my question. If you didn't yes. have anything else, oh, I, I I do I do want to mention this this one part that Go I ahead. thought that I I literally laughed out loud. Okay, uh, much to my wife's confusion, she's like, is, "Are you laughing at something else or or your book?" And I was like, "No, no, no, it's my book." So this is like when when uh, Rooster and uh, Labeef are going back and forth, and uh, Rooster, I'm sorry, Labeef goes, uh, "You don't think much of me, do you, Cogburn?" And Rooster goes, I don't think about you at all when your mouth is closed. <laughs> nice. I just, I don't know why, but that is just very humorous to me. So, 
throughout the book, you you I, we've already established we we both enjoy Rooster as a character. I yes, think he's a very good written character. But in the instance of in the book, would you say that Rooster is a good marshal, is a good lawman? Uh, I mean, there it certainly seems like he is not following the letter of the written law. So in that regard, I'd have to say no. I think a lot, though, if you kind of look into into the responsibility of the time, right, where you have where they're located in America and mm-hmm. really they're so they're situated really close to Indian territory where they weren't governed by, you know, yeah. regional laws. They didn't have sheriffs. You had U.S. marshals that kind of had to hunt and operate in these very gray areas. But yeah, I mean, really throughout this whole book, you just kind of get into Rooster's exploits and prior to becoming, you know, a marshal, he yeah. robbed a bank and sort of justified it by saying, you know, he, he never stole a pocket watch or, right. he didn't you know, steal money from, from people. He didn't steal from people. He stole from a thief. Uh, and, you know, he shot He shot the man he was working for and, and left yeah. and through his, uh, his buddy Potter is how he got set up as a, as a U.S. marshal. And then, you know, you get a little bit into sort of his exploits during the uh, the Civil War, and it's just man, it's yep. like the really the only difference between Rooster and and these other you know people that occupy this area is that you know he has a badge. Yeah. So it's kind of I don't know. It's a very uh, it's a very strange thing to to have this sort of character that you look at positively, despite the fact that they have a lot of portions of their character that you would go, God, why would like, this is, why are we, you know, yeah. Why would we root for this person? And I think that's just a tribute, you know, to the writing and just the wit of the character that regardless of the fact that he's not, you know, he's not your prototypical, like good guy upstanding, you know, he's there to help and protect and yeah, you know, he's very much a flawed character. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what kind of draws, draws your attention more to him than, than, Maddie in the book and even Labeef. Yeah, and you know, I think that uh, I never really got a sense that he was noble or like completely flawed either. Like, you know, obviously, um, you know, he 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 rescues Maddie after she's after she's bit, you know, sure. and kills and her, even just kills like her horse even as early interactions, even when they try to abandon her and she she tracks him down and and Labeef's laying into her, just his his right. readiness to kind of come to her defense in that regard. Like you can see that there is good in in his character that he's not just an you know sort of a lawless do for himself type character, but he does have those tendencies. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and like like I mentioned, even his like invoices where he's lying on on all of that stuff, and you know, oh well, you know, say say I gave it to this person, and you know, whatever, whatever, and having having her do it, like obviously he has some pretty uh, questionable morals in certain areas, but there is sort of like this nucleus of of you know right and wrong um, that I think he does like operate around, and then. Everything else, sort of on the fringes, is is up to whatever's necessary at the, at that point in time. Sure, I can agree with that. That there's this sort of general, you know, if there's if you put a line in the sand and evil on one side and good on the other, that he would be on the line close to the good side. But it it you know he does kind of operate in a way that he, you know, he goes to whatever length necessary to accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish. And yeah. I think that that is kind of the gray area for him that maybe he's trying to do good things or in his mind, at least what he feels is right, but he's going about it in very uh, questionable ways. Yeah. 
you think he ever had the intent to to try to bring uh what's his face back alive other than Cheney, uh other than the uh money factor for the the Texas bounty? Uh no. I think it's just the it's the prospect of getting MO. money through that. No. Like, I mean I don't think he would have minded too much putting a bullet in him, but Yeah. If it meant, you know, getting paid, I don't think he would have minded that much either. No, I, I, I don't I don't think so either. Um so if if someone killed one of your closest relatives, okay. I, don't, I don't know who you're closest to. Um would you pick Rooster or Labeef to get the job done? You're not going, but you're you have to pick somebody to go to go resolve the situation. Who would you pick and why? Uh, I mean, it's tough because you would hope that you would, I don't know, you would want to operate within the confines that you've kind of established of, you know, I want them to, I want them to be punished and I want them to, you know, have their, have their rights or, you know, have a, a fair trial and all that. But knowing my own personal feelings, if someone had killed in cold blood, someone that was close to me, yeah, I'd probably want rooster. You know, I, I, I'm not shy away from the, the idea that I could be sort of corrupted by the idea of, of getting vengeance more so than simply seeing someone, you know, sure. brought back to justice. You know, I think rooster I think, certainly seemed more effective. I mean, to be fair, the beef had been trying to, to capture Cheney for exactly. months at that point. So exactly seemed a little bit ineffectual. Yeah, I mean, if if you if you consider exactly that point, I think the only reasonable uh, choice, given the outcome of this, would be would be Rooster, um, because yeah, I mean, he, he chased him all the way to Arkansas. He's constantly behind, and then if you think about Labeef's time, even with Rooster, he doesn't really do a whole lot except for um, to shoot. Uh, Lucky Ned at the end and save Rooster. Sure. I mean, he he shoots the fucking horse and I, I guess he, he uh, helped get Maddie out uh, yeah. by tying the rope to the horse and getting her out of the hole. But, I mean, he's sort of a support character in that way and it's kind of no surprise that he ended up, you know, not catching the guy in the first place. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that was attributed to the fact that it was kind of like he was the he was the good counter to Rooster, I think, when you're taking kind of their characters where you have Rooster who's familiar with the area. Yeah. And he's the one that kind of knows, like, okay, I know about, you know, Ned and I know about these areas and where to go to start looking. And Labeef was kind of just, you know, he was he was in that area just sort of he he knows sort of the background of Cheney more so, but that didn't really help to to catch him because Cheney as a character, you know, is alluded to as just kind of being the slow witted, you know, right. not not this criminal mastermind. And so you kind of lose a little bit of faith in in Labeef just because it's you know Maddie's pointed out that she she seemingly had him figured out from the get go, um, but yet all these other people were just kind of unaware and and incapable of 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 tracking him down. But yeah, I, you know I yeah I would think I would go with with Rooster just because he was seemingly more practical uh, in his methods for trying to trying to track down and and catch him. But I don't know I thought Labeef was kind of the the good the good counter there where he was more of a you know he was seemingly more of a dedicated you know lawman albeit a little bit more immature you know he was a younger yeah. guy he was a little bit more caught up in the idea of you know 
here are my feats that I've done. I, you know, I've lapped up water from a hoof print and, you know, throughout the course of, <laughs> of my exploits in Texas and how rough, you know, Atlanta is. And I'm, you know, I'm this rough and tough, you know, cowboy. I wear spurs and, you know, that sort of nature. So it is, it is, that does take away from his practicality as a, you know, effective lawman, despite the fact that he seemingly has a little bit higher, you know, moral, moral, weight or you know he his moral compass is a little bit better than than roosters yeah and you know but on the other hand uh labeef effectively tracked down maddie's family and where you know cheney was doing sure even though he did it he did it late and you know rooster's methods were you know a bit haphazard right like um they seem to have sort of lucked into uh meeting up with them at that little like uh that lodge with the hut yeah yeah um and then you know he royally screwed up um getting close to their hideout um which you know caused maddie's capture and you know he was reckless charging at four guys in a field with you know two pistols and uh you know so if if you talk about getting the job done like he's just sort of a guy who just he's kind of a wild card yeah i mean like you could you could count on him in some ways that he would be you know his methods might get you might get you there closer but he's you know it's always he's kind of a wild card you don't know exactly whether or not you know he's going to get the job done or get himself killed or get you know you killed (laughs) so do you think do you think he was right bringing maddie along like, I mean, he went along with it more than Labeef did. Sure, I think he was eventually coerced into into going with that. I don't know, you know, the way again, the way it's written, maybe you know, viewing Maddie as the character that we see through the eyes of her older self. Yeah, I mean, she seems like she's mature, at least emotionally and mentally enough to kind of embark on that. But when you look at the fact that it's a fourteen year old girl, and yeah, you know, probably not not the most responsible thing to do, but again you don't you you very early on in the book you know it kind of it, it warps your idea you know the very first i mean hell the very start of the book is you know this idea that a 14 year old can go to avenger's father's death is crazy but it yeah. happened here's what happens you know it already kind of throws away that idea that you know she's a child you can't you can't have her tag along for these things she's right. not you know she can't handle it she's not mature you're worried about her you know the very beginning of the book go ahead and just get rid of that idea out of your mind and yeah. and sort of make it acceptable that okay she's she is you know an adult because of the circumstances have forced her to be or forced her to kind of take on this role and so in a way yeah i could see it's okay when you when you look at it that it's like look at the responsibility she already has i mean her mom isn't there she's the one that has to go up there to take care of of getting the body sent back she has to take care of her father's affairs and all these things you know you already yeah. have this responsibility that's thrust upon her that she seemingly deals with fine i mean that seemingly deals with unlike another kid i mean when she sees her dad you know dead for the first time and uh, you know it's just kind of that whole situation is it's not it's it's very sterile it's not you know overly emotional she just kind of wants things taken care of so that she can be on her way to the next uh the next bullet point on her list you know yep and yeah there wasn't a lot of like feminine uh injection by by her uh you know narrating the story like to your point it was very sterile and 
you know, didn't, uh, she didn't exhibit sort of your typical female stereotypes other than like, um, her, her sense of dignity, I guess. And like religion. Sure. Which kind of brings me to my, we had talked a little bit about beforehand, kind of the, the questions I had one was how different do you think the book would be if Maddie were written not as a female? Because one of the things that Mm. I observed kind of writing or, or reading through the book is you have the two other characters that you get a lot of information and you get kind of the delve into, and that's that's Rooster and Labeef. And in a lot of ways, kind of different uh, different nuances of masculinity kind of outline their character, that it's or it's their flaws in that nature. Like Labeef is very, you know, he's that kind of very bragging, very kind of boisterous, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm so smooth. And, and that, that sort of exhibits a lot of what his character is. And Rooster is very much that sort of like, you know, gruff you know gritty is you know Mm -hmm. the name of the book's true grit but just sort of that like rough you know like raw raw just very kind of you know i drink and you know i do my own thing and i'm a very kind of just on my own loner type of 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 masculinity or whatever and then you have maddie who's very sterile except for kind of the 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 injections of of the of the religious ideas of of kind of justice and and you know those things that are brought from her older self and injected in there, but there isn't, there really isn't a lot to sort of identify Maddie as, as a female in the story outside of the first little bit, you know, when you kind of have the weird interaction with Labeef when he first meets her and he's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I could have stolen a kiss. Yeah. But yeah. And you know, if you look at this book, despite the fact that it's, you know, if you look at the, at the cover, it's, it's Maddie on it. Right. The story's about Maddie. You know, it's really, I don't see it as like a story about a woman or, you know, I don't really see there's like a whole lot of, you know, femininity or anything that's injected in here. And right. Not that I would have to say that like every female character has to have all of these, you know, traits of femininity or anything to it. But I think Maddie especially is written and and views, you know, viewed in a way that it's very sterile. It's yeah. very like devoid of any type of of characteristic feminine, masculine, whatever. Cause it's not to say that the counterpart is that, Oh, she acts very masculine. You know, she does all these things that boys are doing. No, she just, she acts like very much as a character. You can see the motivations for why she does it. Mm-hmm. And you know, sort of her, her, her sex or gender, you know, nothing plays into that. And so it's strange that you have that counterplayed with the two characters that I can see a lot of like, okay. Like the very masculine traits in one way, sort of, exemplify Labeef yeah. and in another way kind of exemplify uh, Rooster. So that was interesting to me, the idea that what if Maddie was just written as a boy? Like, what would it change about the book? You know, I, I don't know that it would it would necessarily change a whole lot. Like, I mean, even if you think about her name, like Maddie is not, um, I mean, it's, it's androgynous, right? Sure. Um, like, it could go either way. Um, and... Uh, her the way that 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 she's presented you never really get the the struggle um of like of her gender um it's you know more to do with her age than anything else sure um there which is, is which is surprising that they don't touch on i mean a lot of it yeah a lot of it the characters sort of act strangely to her because of her age not because it's you yeah. know she's a woman in 1875 right sort of going around commanding this you know, presence that maybe wasn't necessarily you would think like, oh, that's that makes sense that she would right. have these sort of ability throughout that that kind of instance in society. I I suspect 
and not to take anything away from, you know, a, a strong female, you know, lead character in the book, but I suspect that the writer probably was not comfortable writing from the perspective of a 14-year-old girl. And well, I think that's why a lot of the book is, again, from her older self narrating. Right. So, yeah, I, I think like he might have ripped out, you know, s- certain gender norms um, or potentially even been oblivious to, to those things. Um, you know, he himself being a man, uh, you know, that could have heightened certain parts of, you know, like and this this is fucked up. But um, like. I there was never like a sense of like um like that she was in any danger like of being raped by like N- Lucky Ned's group like n- not that everything has to be like sexualized or anything but sure. these are supposedly like really bad dudes right yeah like you know murderers and robbers and like rapists was just left off off the list like she seemed very comfortable lucky ned actually seemed like a pretty decent guy um you know by you know letting her have breakfast and then sending the the marshals away and and um i i i think he was just uncomfortable with some of the other like potential themes that could have gone on there or if you want to really take it you know far out maybe those things like did happen and Maddie's defense mechanism as the narrator in present is to be very sterile. Yeah. Because you, I mean, you get the picture of Maddie at the end of the book is, you know, she hasn't married. She's kind of, you know, this very deeply religious sort of not spinster, but you know, she's kind of, she's done well, you know, in business and she kind of just leads a normal life. However, there is that kind of tinge, you know, you do have the sort of um, like stand in that you feel about halfway to the later end of the book that Rooster kind of has that stand in sort of father, yeah, uh, father figure for her, and so you do kind of have that that kind of like father daughter uh, thing. But I think a lot of that too is like for any child. Although sure, I guess sure. I don't know his interactions make it seem like he he acts differently because she's a girl. Um, and then you do have that like the 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 subtle even though it's, you know, the age difference, the subtle hints of, of like chivalrous or not, not like purely like romantic, but kind of the interactions between her and the beef. Yeah. Uh, and then even sort of at the end of the book, when she's curious about where he is and what he's doing that you kind of think like, okay, maybe there's that sort of that, that element to it as well. But outside of that, there really isn't, there really isn't a lot of defining things about her that it's like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is, this is great because this character, you know, exhibits these feminine traits. She just right. is very sterile. She just yeah. is, you know, very just by the books, you know, matter of fact, there's no, there's no here or there with her. Right. I mean, even when she references that, you know, she, she, uh, could have, you know, married or, or whatever, um, you know, she just sort of says like, you know, oh, there, there are a few people and, and whatever, but she never approaches it with any like sense of tenderness. Sure. Um, and matter of fact, she doesn't really approach anybody in like even even her father um, in a way like it's more of, uh, you know, the crime that happened than yeah. like, you know, her her love for her dad. It, it very much. And that's that's another element to this, too, is kind of the the religiousness, the like re- mm-hmm. the, the religious idea of just like justice and vengeance seems to be kind of the the driving factor not that she you know loves and misses her father it's more though that she feels determined that her family or you know that they were slighted that you know she needs to bring 
that she needs to bring Cheney to justice. Yeah. I think, I think that is, that is interesting that, um, I don't know that we've like lost it as, as a society, um, in the sense that like, you know, we want to bring people to justice, but, um, she, you know, obviously put herself in great peril, um, to make sure that, you know, she did get, uh, vengeance for, for what happened. So, um, do you have a, a specific question around, around vengeance? Well, just around kind of vengeance and, and sort of its effects and the idea of tragedy. And I like okay. to try to bring back themes that maybe we've talked about previously in episodes. Oh, how witty so and I can, topical. I can name drop some other episodes for you to go back and listen to. But I think it was episode one when we were talking about a farewell to arms mm-hmm. and just the idea of what makes a tragedy as a story. Uh, typically it's the idea of, you know, you have a character that, that has this sort of downfall, but my idea for, or for what a tragedy is and kind of the definition that I think of what a tragedy is, is they have this sort of downfall because of their own actions or their own, you know, personality traits or things that lead it to this. And so the idea of kind of vengeance in this book, um, makes me think that a lot of, in a lot of ways, like the outcome for Maddie is, is that of a tragedy because this vengeance you know, it seemingly takes this huge toll on her life. You know, it leads her to this point where she could have just said, you know, it sucks that, you know, we killed my father. But the 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 desire, the overwhelming desire that kind of consumes her to chase after him to see that he's put to justice, it ends up, you know, do, do, is she really better off? Mm-hmm. You know, she loses an arm. She has to go through this whole experience that I'm sure, you know, shapes the rest of her life, scars her, you know, whether it's seeing people, you know, killed or just having all of these, you know, this whole kind of experience um, that it can be kind of seen as like a, a tragic end for her because at the end, you know, they get Cheney, but you don't really see her life as something that it's like, you know, she can go on and lead a, a happy life. It seems like she yeah. carries that that sort of just stoic, you know, burden with her and she never really gets a chance to kind of, I don't know, get gratification out of that. I mean, you know, later in the book at the end, whenever she goes to try to meet rooster again, you know, he's passed away by that time and she mm-hmm. hasn't had any contact with Labeef. So it's just sort of as though she's, you know, she went back to her life, but it was nothing that was ever really the same. It's that, you know, the idea that vengeance that you expect to just kind of embrace that sort of dark idea um, that you're able to go back to your life without changes. And I think that that isn't possible in a lot of ways when you allow it to sort of control yourself like that. And so yeah. that's why I can kind of see that the idea of vengeance and, and, and just sort of justice in this sense makes Maddie's story kind of a tragedy. Yeah, I could, I could get behind that. And uh, first of all, I'm proud that you brought back a farewell to arms, but I feel like you, you missed the obvious tie in which was this book could have been called a farewell to arm a farewell to arm it could have <laughs> uh all right that's my dad joke of the episode right. um thank you for that yeah no uh i i think i i think you could definitely make a case that that it is a tragedy and the thing that i that i sort of walked away from is that you know the the victory was was sort of hollow for maddie sure. right like as soon as as Cheney was dead, I don't recall that there was any other mention of of him. I uh, there was never any sort of like sense of you know relief or like success. Well, I think a lot of that too was the situation, right? You know? Right, yeah. She got bit by the snake and carted off, um, you know, ninety miles an hour to to you know get 
get fixed up. But um, there was just never that moment where like it seemed like the weight of everything kind of sank in mm-hmm. with her, um, you know. And then she did sort of carry around these these scars obviously her her arm is missing and you know she's she's alone and to your point you wonder how much of that um you know was sort of her price for you know doing this yeah um i I, and i thought it was interesting as well that like obviously in her retelling she um is very um fond of 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 rooster sure. and um his morals by by the end of it um but there's this big gap of time where she never really seems to uh, to put forth much effort to like find him yeah um you know until obviously he's he's dead um shortly uh shortly after she decides yeah, maybe I'll just go hunt him down and figure out what's going on um, so yeah, I think, I think there's definitely, there's definitely something to the, uh, the vengeance thing. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about the, the title. Um, you know, obviously the, the phrase true grit came up, um, a few times in, in the book when, you know, Maddie was, was referencing rooster and it's sort of a, a, a two part question. One, like, what do you think that Maddie meant by like, you know, she wanted somebody with with true grit, um, and then you know, two is the name of the book really about like Rooster, um, or like what what is it what does it reference? Do you think? Yeah, I I don't know. I think if you're looking at the book and you're you're reading it and you're thinking, okay, whenever she's Whenever she's trying to find a marshal for a case, and it's she says she wants someone with with true grit, in her mind it's like someone that's kind of determined and and I don't know abrasive. When I think of this, yeah. like someone who's very stubborn, kind of just very determined. And again, it, it all kind of harkens back to whenever the sheriff is sort of telling her about the different marshals that she can go with, and you know she immediately just hones in on this. You know, he's just he's unafraid to. To, to pull a trigger and, you know, to, yeah. to, you know, to, he's a drinker. He's, you know, all this other stuff that she's just, you know, she wants someone who, who can exact vengeance that has that right. kind of edge to them. Um, and so in a way you kind of see it, it's like, Oh, you think that, you know, going into the book that Cogburn is kind of that, that element of the story that he just kind of has the like rough and, and sort of edgy in, in a sense he does. But I think they're towards the, the middle and the end of the book when you kind of just see sort of how, stalwart maddie is in her in her quest how she kind of like is just so determined by this vengeance to get there to just push push the characters around her too that i think it kind of more more encapsulates like her character as a person just because i don't know i think she just never has that moment of unfailing like yeah she just always has this unfailing just sort of desire that she just wants to go and and she's you know we're close to cheney and we can get him and we're almost there even to the point when roosters you know like oh we've lost the trail we're not getting him you know it's right. it's over i'm done i wash my hands of this yeah i think um i think the title does seem to reference maddie more than than rooster um because she's you know really the only character that you know sort of exemplifies like you know just the stick to itiveness and yeah. and the aggressiveness right like 
you know, even even Rooster from the beginning, um, you know, was was hesitant to help. And then he was attracted by the money when Labeef came on. And, you know, so when it comes to sort of taking on a task and, and seeing it through to completion, I think it really has has more to do. You know, Maddie is the one with with true grit. Sure. As it were, um, which, you know, I, th- I think says a lot about, you know, her her uh present you know character too like as the narrator um how she she is so sterile in her her retelling like she doesn't interject uh her emotion very often yeah there really isn't you know thoughts and feelings outside of just the determination to get the job done yeah to find him i think that's what she wanted she wanted basically an assassin somebody who was you know going to either bring him to justice immediately unwaveringly or you know you know get him to the gallows um to see him to see him hanged and there was never really any in between you know and and even like the negotiation sort of scene with with labeef i think was was sort of interesting um and as i was reading it i was like is this you know maddie not realizing that like there is a world bigger than her and you know that the the senator's family deserved justice as much as she did sure um and that's just a 14 year old or you know is it that she doesn't give a fuck and like she's gonna get hers and you know they should have labeef should have caught him first if that was you know the the thing so i i thought that was that was interesting yeah i think yeah in a way it's kind of weighted by that that she feels that you know, he's partially responsible because he didn't catch him before he got to, you know, her family so that his, you know, he would need to serve the justice in her eyes for the killing of her father. That that obviously is, you know, taking the place of being more important to her, even though it would be, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint, the idea of going and capturing him, taking him back to Texas. And yeah, you know, that would be, you know, she could even have some benefit of that, but she doesn't want, you know, practical. She doesn't want you know, monetary benefit. She just wants vengeance. Yeah. That's, that's basically it. Um, what other questions did you have? I'm, I'm clear out of questions. I'm out. I think we've gotten into a lot of it. The, the big meat of it, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Like I said, it was a, it was an easy read, man. I'll tell you what, compared to, compared to, you know, everything else, sound of the fury. It was a very easy read. It was a, it was a very enjoyable read. You know, I think, it was one of those things I, I, you know, I dove into and I would read for about an hour and just kill, you know, so much of the book. And oh, it's, yeah. It's a quick read, too. You know, I, I think maybe four or five hours. Yeah. If you're reading at a, at a slow pace. You know, if you're reading, kind of digesting and stuff, like, it's it's not a very thick read at all. But it was, uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. So let's get into our, let's get into our rating system. Let's do it. Uh, so you want to summarize? We'll rehash again. Our rating system is broken into two parts, whether we're keeping it or donating it. If it's a donate, obviously we don't want the book on our bookshelf. We'll get rid of it. It's fine. Uh, but if we keep it, you know, it has three different spots that it can occupy on our bookshelf. The top shelf, which is our, you know, universal recommendations, thoroughly enjoy the book, reread, you know, all the time. We that's It's something that we, you know, cherish. Yep. Middle shelf, good books. Obviously, we're keeping them. We think they're of good quality. We put them on the middle shelf. Uh, maybe not as read, reread. You know, as frequently, but mm-hmm. we would recommend them. Maybe not to everybody, but to to some certain people. And then our bottom shelf is where we put books where we can kind of recognize their importance, um, but maybe not something that we're necessarily recommending to everyone. You know, maybe not something that we're super 
on about rereading, you know, regularly. Maybe it's something that we might try to approach with a different mind in the future, but we can kind of value the book as for what it is. So, okay. Thank you. Yeah. I forgot. I'd forgotten all that since last week. Well, all right. I, f- I feel like we're going to be, we're going to be different. Okay. On this one. Well then go for it. You go first. Uh, so keep or donate. I'm gonna donate. I'm, oh. just, I'm just kidding. No. Oh wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm gonna keep it. Okay. I'm gonna keep it. Uh, I'm gonna put it bottom shelf. Bottom shelf. Yeah. Why? Um, because I feel like this is a book that um I probably don't find like reread value in it for me. Um, but it's something that like if somebody mentioned like you know, a Western or, you know, wanted an easy read, like something that was enjoyable. I could run in here, grab it off my shelf and go, here you go. Here's, here's something that's highly enjoyable, not super dense, but, you know, still interesting enough, um, that you'll feel glad you read it. Uh, you know, feel free to keep it when you're done. Gotcha. Okay. I can respect that. I'm also keeping it, not donating it, especially my version. I have the like first, printing paperback version which is kind of cool yeah uh i'm gonna put it middle shelf okay middle shelf probably closer to the left like i said uh i thoroughly enjoyed this book and to to your point it's not something that i i necessarily need to reread immediately i'll probably you know at some point in the future if i want like a light read if i'm going on vacation or something or yeah if i'm just in the mood for a western or something i can certainly see rereading it and uh, also, it's not the kind of book that I would necessarily recommend to every single reader. Sure, um, sure. So I can't necessarily put it on the top shelf, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think there are plenty of people that I could I could find to recommend to that would thoroughly enjoy it. And it's something I would want to hold on and potentially read again. So yeah. I think it's solid middle shelf for me. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's fair as well. Um, definitely an enjoyable read. When you suggested it last week, I was like, all right, this is, uh, is going to be interesting. I, I don't think I approached it like... Um, that I wasn't going to like it, but I think from like just movies that I like, like I don't really care about Westerns that much. Sure. So I didn't think that I was going to enjoy this one as much as I did. Yeah. Um, Westerns are kind of a strange genre. I mean, I yeah. like, uh, you know, from, from a, from a personality standpoint, I always feel like there are people that I know that, that love Westerns and then people that hate Westerns. There are very few people that I know that are kind of like lukewarm on Westerns. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I don't know why it's so polarizing, but I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's one of the most fascinating times in terms of like U.S. history, even even through fiction, even though obviously things are sensationalized, but just yeah. the the uniqueness of the kind of American experience post-Civil War to the turn of the century when you kind of have industrialization. It's just you have so much changing, like socially, you have so much kind of going on with expansion and with, with development, and then you just have this like these remnants of just, you know, old you know, Southern influences on a lot of these, on a lot of these stories that take place kind of in the, in the, in the rural areas in the West and the Southwest. And it's just, I don't know. I find it really fascinating. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm into Westerns. I'm not like traditionally, like I don't go out and read, you know, like Louis L'Amour and all these Westerns (laughs) or anything like that, you know, but I do love, especially I love spaghetti Westerns from a, from a movie standpoint. I love the, I love Fistful of Dollars, Good Bag of the Ugly, you know, those, those movies I, I thoroughly enjoy. So, you know, it's not for everyone. Yeah, no, I I get it. 
Um, all right, so let's let's talk about next week's book. The the tie here is a little bit loose, but um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stretch this one. So, so this was this was a Ryan suggestion. Yes, this this was this was my suggestion. So the the tie over is kind of twofold. Um, one is that you know Maddie in this book operates in from sort of a place of secrecy. Um, in that you know she's not forthcoming with. Uh, I guess her lawyers sort of uh, keeping an eye on her and her mom about what she's doing and, you know, when she's doing it and all that sort of stuff. Uh, And from the brief description I read about this book, there is also a level of of secrecy going on, Um, you know, but then there's also a potential tie over. um, I'm making an assumption uh, about race because this this writer does uh, interject a lot of um, either subtly or uh, overtly. just sort of uh, like racial conflict in in certain things, and it's done very masterfully. Um, so the the book we're going to read next week is called "So Much Blue" by uh, a writer that I love, uh, Percival Everett. And I have not read this one. This is his newest novel. Yeah, came, this out, came out last year. Last yeah. year, yeah. All right. So um, it's uh, supposedly about a guy who's painting a giant painting in like different shades of blue, but like won't let anybody see it. And there are all these other sort of like um, complex relationships that uh, that he's dealing with and that kind of drive the, the story forward. So I don't, I don't want to say, you know, too much about it, but that's that's going to be our book for for next time. Um I will also mention that uh, he's got a collection of short stories. That's that's how I like got onto him, uh, called "Damned If I Do," and there were there were three in there that I really enjoyed. Um, one was called "The Appropriation of Cultures," and it's kind of uh, you know Southern um, race relations related yeah. uh, Confederate flag that sort of stuff, um, and that I think that kind of summarizes his. Uh, that portion of of his style of writing. Uh, There's another one called uh, Warm and Nicely Buried, uh, which he spent a lot of time in, uh, like, the Enchanted Circle in New Mexico, like Taos, Red River, um, that whole area. And uh, so that sort of takes place there. And and one of his novels uh, later uh, was written, I think, based on the character in that short story. And then my favorite uh, was uh, a story called The The Fix, uh, about a, a like guy who can fix anything like it's uh, sort of a, a superpower in a way okay. um, but like you know normal stuff mostly sure. but you know also not normal stuff so anyway if you want to do some like extra extracurricular reading in on top of this you know more dense book than than uh, true grit uh, I would suggest those um, just randomly cool all right so I think that about wraps it up for this week. So much blue, Percival Everett next week. We did Hoot Nannies this week. We did Hoot Nannies. We'll have another Hoot Nanny sometime in the future. I think we'll come back around to it. It's bound to happen. I'm 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 down for it. Thank you guys for listening and uh, stay tuned for our next episode. Mm-hmm.